Our Old Testament lesson this morning comes from Isaiah chapter 52, verses, verse 13 through chapter 53, verse 6. It should be found on page 600 in our pew Bibles or 1146 in our large print. Before we read, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for this day that you have made. God, we thank you for calling us together at this place and at this time. And Lord, we thank you for calling us your children. Lord, we ask that you would give us uh, ears to hear your word this morning, that you would give us minds to understand, and God, that you would prepare our hearts to receive your word. Lord, that, um, that even today you would continue the work that you have begun in us, changing us from the inside out into children who resemble you more and more over the days and weeks and years. And Lord, we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Isaiah, starting in chapter 52, verse 13. See, my servant will act wisely. He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. Just as there were many who were appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any human being and his form marred beyond human likeness. So he will sprinkle many nations, and kings will shut their mouths because of him. For what they were not told, they will see. What they have not heard, they will understand. Who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot, and like a root out of dry ground, he had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God stricken by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. That was, by the way, passage of prophecy from the Old Testament hundreds of years before Jesus was born. You can see pretty easily how the New Testament authors looked back to that and said, if this isn't talking about Jesus, I don't know who it's talking about. This is uh, now in the New Testament, Hebrews chapter 10, verses 16 through 25. This is the covenant I will make with them after that time, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts, and I will write them on their minds. Then he adds, their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. And where these have been forgiven, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart, 
and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience, and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, this morning is actually a strange, strange morning in the, uh, in the church calendar, because today, as it says in your bulletin, is Palm Sunday, and yet it's also Passion Sunday. So it's kind of two in one. It is the day that we both uh, celebrate Jesus coming into Jerusalem as a king, and yet it's also the day when we remember Jesus on the cross, the suffering uh, that went before and how he was not the king that people expected him to be. When Jesus came into Jerusalem and people were cheering, they expected him to, be, to come in power. They expected him to drive out the Romans. They expected him to be the savior they thought they needed. But when Jesus came in, he came in as the king that they actually needed. And even as he told his disciples that he, he did not come to be served, but to serve, to give his life as a ransom for many. This is a different kind of king. But when they were shouting his praises, they were shouting Hosanna. And as we already talked about with the kids, Hosanna means save us. Save us, please. And he did come to save them. But again, they were thinking in political terms. Save us from these Romans who are oppressing us. Save us from not having our own uh, political autonomy. Jesus came to save them. But from something that was a much more serious problem, even than government oppression. He came to save them, not from the the penalties and the power and the presence of Rome that was occupying the land. He came to save them from the penalty and the power and even the presence of sin in their hearts and their lives and in the whole world. That is way bigger. But it's much harder to see. And so they sing his praises, but they miss who he is and what he's really come to do. But he also came not just uh, to, bring it, to be a different king and to bring a different kind of salvation, but also to bring people into a different kind of family. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. As, uh, take a look at John chapter 19, verses 14 through 27, though we'll mainly look at just those last few verses. We need to get a little context here. This is, uh, we're still in our series of words that Jesus says from the cross. And here we have a few more of those statements. Again, John 19, verses 14 through 27. It was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about noon. Here is your king, Pilate said to the Jews, but they shouted, Take him away! Take him away! 
Crucify him. Let's just pause there for a second. Pilate is saying, here is your king, to the very people who were celebrating the king that had come less than a week ago. This is on Friday. On uh, Sunday, they had been shouting, we have on the front of our bulletin, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. This blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David is a way of saying, this is the king. Not just a king, this is the king that God has been promising to send. And so here we are, less than a week later, and Pilate says, here is your king. And they shouted, take him away, take him away, crucify him. Shall I crucify your king? Pilate asked. We have no king but Caesar, the chief priests answered. The chief priests answered. So you catch that. Finally, Pilate handed him, handed him over to them to be crucified. So the soldiers took charge of Jesus. Carrying his own cross, he went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him, and with him two others, one on each side and Jesus in the middle. Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened to the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read the sign for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and the sign was written in Aramaic, Latin, and Greek. The chief priests of the Jews protested to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but, this, but that this man claimed to be king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, dividing them into four shares, one for each of them, with the undergarment remaining. This garment was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. Let's not tear it, they said to one another. Let's decide by lot who will get it. This happened that the scripture might be fulfilled that said, they divided my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. So this is what the soldiers did. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, Woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, this this disciple took her into his home. It's these final words uh, that we read in the passage that I want to talk about as far as being put in a different kind of family. Jesus, from the cross, using what little breath he had left, looks down and sees Mary, looks down and sees uh, who we believe to be the Apostle John, who generally refers to himself in his gospel not as John by name, but as uh, the disciple that Jesus loved. Which, come on. If you had been walking with Jesus for three years, if you had gotten to see him transfigured on the mountain, if you had gotten to lean next to him at the Last Supper, if he had washed your feet, and then later you'd seen him raised from the dead, and then you were going to write a story about this, do you think you'd say anything about yourself? Do you think you'd have anything to say about yourself other than, he loved me. He loved me. That's pretty good. So this is the way that John refers to himself through his gospel. 
And so here we have Mary and John and Jesus on the cross looking at the two of them. And using what little breath he has left, he addresses them individually. Individually. And in doing so, cares for them for after he's gone. See, Jesus, I don't know if you know this, was Mary's oldest son. You should be able to figure that out if you know the Christmas story. Jesus was Mary's oldest son. And uh, we don't hear much about his uh, earthly father, Joseph, after the Christmas story. And so it is presumed he probably died somewhere along the way. Uh, So Mary is likely a widow, which means it is the oldest son's responsibility to care for her. And here Jesus is dying. And he provides care for her in the person of John. John and Mary also share something in common, that they are both getting ready to share a common grief, as they are both losing someone that they love dearly. Jesus could have, by the way, he could have entrusted Mary to one of his own brothers. We see uh, in other places in the Gospels that he had other brothers They came to him on one occasion, thought he was out of his mind. But Jesus doesn't say, all right, it's going to be James. James is going to take care of you, Mom. It's not that. It's going to be John. John, the disciple. Why? Because this is a different kind of family. If we look at, uh, oh, Mark 3. Jesus' mother and brothers arrived where he was teaching, the house where he was teaching. And standing outside, they sent someone in to call him, and a crowd was sitting around him, and they told him, your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. Listen to how Jesus addresses the idea of family. Who are my mother and my brothers? He asked. Then he looked at those seated in a circle around him and said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. Why didn't they say father? father. But whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. This is Jesus incorporating us into a new family, not based on one you're born into naturally, but based on being born again into a very different kind of family. Uh, This is this is impossible to read. Ah, Mark 10. That's what Jesus talks about when Peter later says, We have left everything to follow you. Truly I tell you, Jesus replied, 
No one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, along with persecutions. And in the age to come, eternal life. Did you hear it again? Did you hear it again? He said, if you have left your biological, earthly um, father, mother, brother, sister, you will receive a hundred times more, even in this present life. We often like think, well, of course, you give up things now, you'll get good things later. And he's saying, no, 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 even in this present life, you'll receive a hundred times more brothers, sisters, mothers, children. Father's left out again. Because all of this is a matter of having the one father. John tells us in the first chapter, yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. This is the kind of family he's bringing us into. A kind of family that means that if you have left brothers and sisters and homes, etc., you find Christian brothers and sisters everywhere you go. Everywhere you go. I can tell you, I have been in a lot of different several different parts of the world, but a lot of places in this, uh, in this country where I will be far from any of my um, the family I was born into and yet will be completely welcomed and, uh, and loved and cared for as though I were a part of that family. Because we are. We're part of a family, the family of God. And that has some connection, by the way, with our real families. Like our our real family. (laughs) With our natural-born families. One of the things that it means is you don't get to choose your family. Anybody ever wish you could have chosen your family? Everybody's got somebody. They're like, you know, I'm not sure if I would have picked them. We don't get to choose our family. Your family just comes with the deal. You're born and you're born... (laughs) And uh, into a family, these are your parents, where you're adopted. You don't get to choose that. That happens to you. And that's your family. And you get the parents, you get the siblings, and you get all the drama that comes with it. My aunt used to have a saying, I think I've shared this before. She had a very specific way of making chocolate chip cookies. And she said that the way that she made cookies resembled our family which was, it was mostly nuts with just enough sweetness to hold it together. (laughs) There are other ways that's been phrased, and maybe you think of your own family. (laughs) We don't get to choose our families. Those of you who have gotten married, though, some of you were surprised to find out that you did get to choose a family. (laughs) And we're surprised at the choice you made. (laughs) I thought I was just marrying her, and I get all this, too. And it's a package deal. And by the way, for those of you whose spouses laughed loud at that one, help them on that one. They're talking about you. And we don't get to choose our families, generally. We get all the things that come along with it, and one of the things that comes along with it is responsibility, and responsibility to care for the members of our families. And by the way, even though Jesus brings us into a different kind of family, spreads it all out, opens it wide, where we are now brothers and sisters and uh, 
mothers and children throughout the family of God, it does not nullify our responsibility to care for our families that we were born into. Jesus talks in, uh, is it Mark 7? Yes, Jesus talking to the uh, Pharisees, the teachers of the law. And he said, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are uh, merely human rules. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. And he continued, You have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. For Moses said, Honor your father and mother. And anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. Is that serious? But you say that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father or mother is Corban, that is, devoted to God, then you no longer let them do anything for their father or mother. Thus, you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. You do many things like that. So what Jesus is saying here is just because we are part of a new family does not mean that that means we get to just say, well, no longer part of that family, so they're in trouble. I'm not helping. I'm part of a new family now. No, 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 no. You're still a part of that family in the way that you are responsible to honor your father and your mother, the way that we are responsible to care for each other, even uh, that original family that we didn't get to pick. And we are brought in to a new and larger family, also with responsibility to care for one another as brothers and sisters. And this is what we see uh, Jesus doing with John and with Mary, is providing for that care as a part of this new family. Keeping that responsibility, honoring his mother, even in this time of death, and providing for her care, even in the midst of this new family that he's bringing everybody into. Um, This morning... I don't know if you heard. Nope, that's not it. Ah. It went away. This morning there was um, two churches in Egypt. On today, this Palm Sunday, when Christians gathered together and there were bombings at both of them, and there were many Christians who were killed. That happened today, this year, this day. And according to one uh, news source I saw, there were uh, there was a blogger who was writing about this, who was a witness on the scene, and he said he saw Christians running around in the aftermath saying, where is my family? Where is my family? People who came to church today, just like we did, but left it in a very different way than we hope to do. I'm sure that the the motivation of the terrorists who committed these acts is to make people think, if we stay away from church, we'll be safe. I hope we all know better than that. 
that there are worse things than dying. But as I read uh, the article this morning that was talking about this and the people running around saying, where is my family? They lost members of their biological family. Everyone in there lost members of their church family. But I hope and I pray for those who survived that attack that as they continue asking that question, where is my family? That it would be answered with what Jesus said on the cross. Here is your mother. Here is your son. That they would see the ways that God has provided for them, brothers and sisters and mothers and children in the family of God who would care for them through this time. And that, by the way, includes all of us. As the family of God, we are all part of the body of Christ. And as Paul reminds us, that when one part rejoices, we all rejoice, and when one part suffers, we all suffer. But our role is not to rise up in anger or vengeance. Our role is to care for and provide for our family. The best way we can do that for, uh, for those Christians today is through prayer. And as we go through this week and all the days ahead, we can do that for each other through prayer. But for those in our closest proximity, those who are our physical neighbors, we can reach out in other ways as well, providing for our mothers and brothers and sisters and children, giving what is needed, providing for their care as though we were part of the same family, because we are. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.